All right, First Peter chapter 5, and uh, on this very first verse, something I want to show you here is a classic example of why you don't want to do what we call proof texting, where you just, if you have a doctrine, you just find, go sword search something, e-sword, one verse, and then just run with, you know, run with whatever it says. And this verse we're about to look at is one people have often done this with to teach something that's really foolish. And what's always really annoying is when people preach something dumb, but yet they do it with such arrogance. It's very frustrating. And notice this first verse. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And notice how it says the elders that are among you. And this is proof that uh, churches are supposed to have multiple elders, that it's not just about one pastor. Churches in a biblical church has multiple elders. And I even knew of this, you know, one of these novice punks who got a hold of that verse and decided that he was going to start a church with elders, plural. And, you know, it obviously failed miserably, but with great arrogance, use this verse. I've had many people in the past bring this up and look what it says, the elders which are among you. So right there, that proves a church is supposed to have multiple elders. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why you do not want to just proof text. You never just take a verse like this and run with it. And, you know, the Bible, there's a lot in the Bible, isn't there? And when you have a book that has, that contains as much as is in here, you're always, if there's something you really want to teach, you're probably going to find a verse somewhere that says something that goes along with whatever it is you think. But we always have to take the Bible as a whole and what it's trying to teach. And let me just show you here how this is just rank ignorance for somebody to use this to prove multiple elders in a church. And, and so notice what, because notice what it says in 1 Peter 1. We have to answer this question, who is Peter writing to? Is he writing to a local church? Now, often in Paul's epistles that we get used to reading before we get to 1 Peter, he's writing to individual churches, the church in Thessalonica, you know, the church in Ephesus. He's writing to churches, singular, a, church, a single church many times. But here, Peter in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God and the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. He's writing to many people, many different groups from all different cities. So when he's writing to this group of churches, he makes a reference to the elders because all of those churches would have had an elder. So understand that sometimes, and most of the time in the Bible, when it's talking about an elder, you know, an elder is another uh, term for a leader, somebody who's just kind of in leadership. Even in the Old Testament, they had elders, people who are in leadership. Sometimes it does just mean one who is older, because the Bible talks about, you know, the elder uh, women or the younger women listening to the elder women. Obviously, these are not women pastors, but ones that are just older. But the thing is, I've seen people, too, where they'll take a verse where it proves that, you know, they'll prove that verse is talking about somebody who is just older. And therefore, now 
every time we see that word, that's what it's talking about. That's not the case either. Okay, You can't just go find verses that say what you want it to say and then just run with that. You always have to take things in context. So right here, when Peter is writing, he's writing to a group of churches and he says the elders which are among you, not among a local church, but among the strangers scattered throughout all these cities. So he singles out the elders, the pastors that are in all these different local churches that he's writing to. So always keep that in mind. If anybody ever wants to bring this verse up to you to prove multiple elders in church, just understand that uh, this does not prove that. Now, I also want to say this too, though. I do think a church can have multiple elders or you could say um, multiple pastors, multiple leaders, but you only have one bishop. Y'all understand that? You know, you do kind of, you do have to have somebody in charge. You know the saying, anything with more than one head is a monster, right? And so, um, again, you know, if you have an assistant pastor in a church, you know, even though he's an assistant, he's still a pastor, isn't he? You know, and so whatever, whatever it is, and people use different titles. Okay. We don't have to use, uh, all use the exact same titles for things, but it's really more about the work. Uh, which we'll say more about that in a little bit. But uh, I do, you know, I don't have a problem if there's multiple elders in a church, multiple ordained leadership, but I do think there should be one person that's an overseer. And typically, it's going to be an elder. It's going to be somebody who is in ordained leadership. So uh, don't, don't just run, ever run with one verse like this. That's very foolish. And people put their ignorance on display when they use this verse to prove multiple elders in, in an individual church. Peter is not writing to an individual church. He's writing to a bunch of churches. And now he's kind of singling out the pastors. So while what he's been saying has been to kind of the entire congre- all the congregations, here in this part, he's singling out the pastors. Or elders is the term that he uses here. And then he tells these elders, these pastors in these churches... Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but ever of a ready mind. And notice how he said, feed the flock of God, which is among you. He focuses on the local flock because he is writing to multiple churches and not just one. So when he's saying feed the flock, you know, he's writing to First Baptist Church and Second Baptist Church and, you know, Liberty Baptist Church. He's writing to all these different churches. And so when he's saying feed the flock, he makes sure to emphasize the one that's among you, the one that you're a part of. That way, these elders don't get it in their head that, you know, I got to feed all the flock. You know, I got I, I'm in charge of all the churches. And, you know, a lot of times pastors do kind of get it in their head. that It's like, you know, it's my responsibility to take care of all the church. And it's just like. No, you know, and I, I'm I'm all for pastors preaching out, you know, having public ministries. I mean, I do it sometimes. There's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes pastors they can get a little too uh, focused on the flock outside the one that's among them, and that's always that's you know that's not a good thing. They're so busy being out making a name for themselves 
collecting love offerings on top of their salaries. It's kind of a racket that they've got going on. And, um, and in, you know, and you all, it's not like this in our church. You, I, I don't know if you all are even aware how much of a thing this is. But if you are a preacher, okay, and, and I, I hang around preachers, I talk to preachers, I listen to preachers, I listen to podcasts done by preachers, and one of the signs that you are a successful preacher is if you got a full calendar, meaning you're preaching out a lot of different places. It is like a total status thing to be preaching a lot of places, and it is. It, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic racket. I can go, and then I can, you know, I get this pr- person to invite me to preach for them. I get a love offering on top of my salary that I'm getting. I get them to come preach for me. They get a love offering from us on top of the salary that they're already given. Probably cash. Not going to get reported on taxes. All you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, and I'm telling you, you know, they roll. They give these people red carpet treatment. Put them up in nice hotels. Take them out to nice dinners. And it it's pretty pathetic. And preachers talk about it all the time. They they're always talking about their full calendar. And, you know, and, and, and literally, this is how it is in preacher world. I, I, most people don't see this. I'm always exposing the stuff that's in preacher world because I think it's stupid and I don't care. But, I mean, they, they will talk about a preacher, how God, man, God's really using that man. Meaning, he's preaching all over the place. So he's preaching at Brother So-and-So's camp meeting. I saw him preaching at that, that conference. He's been that Rob is getting travel all over the country. You know, I think, man, God's really using him. And they all, they all want that. And it does, it turns into a big thing where it is kind of a quid pro quo type thing going on and everybody's, you know, you just do this for me, I'll do that for you. Folks, that is not good. That is not a good thing. And you know what? Most of the time in most churches, okay, most in most churches, the people in the congregation, they don't give a rip about these different preachers. They don't know who the big names are in fundamentalism. They, they don't even really care, okay? And I, when, I, when I started the church here and I would have guest speakers come in, sometimes I'd have, you know, I had a few people that were pretty well known. Nobody cared because nobody in our church knew who they were. Sometimes I would have these people come in that were pretty well known and then people in the church, you know, I'm like all excited about it. Brother so-and-so is coming to preach for me. And then they'd come preach and it was just like, nobody cared. They didn't even think it was that good. They liked my preaching better. It's like, are you kidding me? Don't, don't you realize who that was? He preaches all over the place. He's, all, he's, all, he's always in revival fires and sword of the Lord. They don't, folks, the people of the congregation don't care. But, you know what, if I can train you all to, you know, really take care of these preachers when they come out, you know, we've got to take care of these men of God as they come out. We've got to be a blessing to them. And, and it, does, it makes me look really good when they come here and they just get showered with money and blessings and all these things. And then it's going to make them more likely to invite me to their church. And then they're going to try to equal, okay, whatever, whatever you know, and, and they do, okay? If, if we give somebody a $1,000 love offering, chances are that's probably I'm going to get when I go out there. They, they try to match it. And you wonder why these preachers are trying so hard to get you to give money, you know, money to the guest speaker. It's not because they want to be a blessing to the guest speaker. It's because he knows he's probably going to get the same thing when he goes to that church. And folks, I'm not lying. That, that's how it is. 
Okay, have you ever heard of a regional conference? All right, like, you know, regional, I won't name any of them today. Okay, but you have regional conferences and you have national conferences. When you, the national conference is the big one, right? That's the, that's the big one. A regional conference, so let's say that, uh, you know, you know, we'll pick on First Baptist and Hammond because they're a big church, all right? You know, they're, they're a big church. That's where you would have a national conference, right? So the thing is, if I want to get on that stage, Whoever, whoever the evangelists is, use that. A lot of times they have their, uh, they have their ministry and they have whatever their conference are. I'm trying not to name some of them that are out there, all right, but uh, I'll make up one. All right, the, the 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 flaming sword conference. All right, so they have the national flaming sword conference at First Baptist Hammond. Man, I really like to preach at that. So the thing, the key, what I have to do. Whoever the evangelist is in charge of that, I got to have him come out here and we've got to hold a regional flaming sword conference. Now, if I'm going to, if he, if it's a big enough thing and he gets a lot of meetings in order for me to earn that spot of preaching at the national flaming sword conference, I got to make sure ours is one of the bigger ones. You know, I got to make sure that, you know, he really liked the conference that we had here and two things will make him really like the conference. How big the offering is and how big the crowd is. And it helps too if there's some results. So y'all better make sure you're at the altar every night. And if you've already been saved, go ahead and get saved again just one more time in case you didn't get it last time. Because he's got to have some numbers. We've got to have a move of God. And then if we're one of the better ones, then guess what? I'm going to get my picture all over the flyers. I'm going to go all over country announcing the Flaming, National Flaming Sword Conference. And folks... That's how it is in the IFB. That's how it is. And I'm not against conferences. I love conferences. I, I enjoy the fellowship. I like preaching. But these things get corrupted real fast. And they turn into uh, just places where you showcase yourself. And, and, you know, and I do. Man, if, I, if I get to preach at the national conference, I'm getting to preach in front of tons of pastors. Well, this is my time to shine now. Because if I shine, guess what? I'm probably going to book a whole bunch of meetings. Well, at this conference, I look like a big shot, you know, I'll, I'll, and if I can establish myself as a big shot, people are going to want to move up the ranks. They're going to want to have me. And folks, a lot of pastors have ruined their churches because they've gotten so focused on going to everywhere, ministering to everyone except for their own people. And again, you know, I, I think it's fine for a pastor to do that to a certain extent, but it can, it can get taken too far. And it often does. And, and it's an absolute shame. And I see through this stuff, and I call it out, and that's why I don't get asked to go to the national conferences. But you know, I'm, I might preach about it right there. But it, it's the way it is. I grew up, I've been around my whole life. I've sat there. I've listened to preachers talk about their love offerings they got. I, I, I've listened to them make. I listened to them talk to each other. Bob, oh, have you come for me? And you come. I've, I've listened to that. I have sat there at tables while they talked about these things, and it's an absolute. It's an absolute shame. And so any, anyway, uh, you know, enough about that. But he told them to feed the flocks among them. The, that should be the focal point. And so, um, uh, verse 3, he goes on to say, Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Being an elder. This is what you need to understand too, especially when you want to be a pastor someday. Being an elder, it's not about lordship. It's not about authority. 
It's not about a position. It's about a work. Okay? A pastor, being a pastor, it's not just a position. It's not just a title. It is a work. It is, it is labor. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25 says, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they, are, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. You know, we've gotten away from calling pastors ministers. That's what they used to call them, ministers. You know why? Because they minister to people. You know, what, you, know what, you know what a minister is? It's a servant. It's a work. It's labor. It's... You know, you went, you, did you know that when uh, the woman was washing Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair, she was ministering to him? She was being a minister at that point. That's, that's lowly work. Did you know when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was ministering to them? That's what a minister does. They serve, and Jesus tells his disciples, listen, the Gentiles, they exercise authority. They establish all these ranks and hierarchies so they can establish themselves above a group of people, so they can be the one in charge, so they can have authority. They exercise dominion, but Jesus said it shall not be so among you. Now, this has been completely violated in many churches all over the world, all over this country, even in the IFB world. This has, is, is in, we are in rebellion when it comes to this. But understand that a pastor, it is, it is, it's, a, it's a work. Your motivation should for pat, uh, to pastor or for pastoring should be to place yourself in a position where you are able to give and where you are able to serve. Because you want to do a work. You want to serve. If your motivation is self-promotion, if you're looking for an opportunity, if you're hoping to, you know, work a deal out where you can have a big enough church where people are going to want to preach for you and so you can go preach for other people, you get a salary plus love offerings. Folks, then pastoring is not for you. That's not what it's about. It's not about notoriety. It's not about any of those things. If that's what your motivation is, you're not cut out to be a pastor. Pastoring is, it is a work. It is a, it's, it's a labor. That's what it is. And it's something, it's not for everybody. You know, some people, they, you know, they don't want to, they, you know, maybe it's just not something that they're interested in. I mean, the Bible says, if any man desire the office of a bishop, if you have no desire to be a pastor, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. That's just not who you are. It doesn't fit your personality, you know, but, uh, understand most, it seems like a lot of people today who want to be a pastor, it's like they're trying to get out of work. And, you know, it's like, let me tell you, there's lazy pastors out there doing pretty much nothing. And, you know, I get why some, you know, some lazy people want a pastor because you can get away with being lazy in some churches, but that is not right, folks. That is, that is not right. And if you're going to do things the way God wants you to do, if you're going to honor God, trust me, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to labor. You have to minister. And it is, it's, it's not always an, an uplifting thing. Sometimes it's just kind of a, a degrading thing. Some of the stuff you got to put up with, some of the things that people expect you to do. And, um, you know, I, 
I don't even really want to tell stories because just because I, I don't like, I, 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 I don't want to complain. I don't feel like complaining. But I, if I wanted to, I could find stuff to complain about. And I could. If I, I could get up here and I could talk about stuff people have expected me to do because I was a pastor and it's just like, and sometimes I do it. And, you know, sometimes I do it with a good attitude. Sometimes I do it with a bad attitude. But uh, it's, not, it's not all glitz and glamour. And, you know, YouTube has fooled a lot of people. Because there's a lot of people, you know, they, they see stuff on YouTube. You know, they see all the goofballs on there praising pastors and saying all these wonderful things in comments and think, man, I want that. Oh, look, you know, look how many views that sermon got. I want attention. Let me tell you, if that's your motivation, you're not cut out to be a pastor. And you, this is, this is not for you. Uh, it's, you need to find something else to do. We are supposed to be ministering. And this is not about lordship. This is not about dominion. We are not lords over God's heritage. Okay? Say, so, well, the pastor is in charge. Well, again, because the, the pastor has been given a work to do. And just like it, we're at your job, if the boss gives you a work to do, you're kind of in charge of that area, aren't you? But, you know, we don't all, and sometimes people do on the job, they get lifted up with pride because, you know, there's always that coveted thing that everybody wants. But, you know, nothing about serving God should get people lifted up with pride. And if it does, then there's something wrong with that setup. There's something wrong with that system. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, the chief shepherd, okay, that's talking about Jesus Christ, shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Our work is all done on behalf of the chief shepherd. The flock belongs to him and pastors should never forget it. Pastors should never forget this is not my flock. This is the Lord's flock. A lot of times pastors, you know, they, you know, they, sometimes pastors don't like some of their church members. Okay. I've never had that problem. All right. Now, now there's been people like, but you know, I'm lying a little bit. Nobody here. All right. But, but a lot of times they do. They purposefully run the people off that they don't like. Now, what gives you the authority to do that? It's not your flock. It's the Lord's flock. And you know what? You don't get to go bending the rules in the Bible to find a way to make them violate one of the things that get you thrown out of the church. And it's amazing the, the excuses people come up with just to run people out. That is not what a shepherd does. And you especially don't do that when we are an under-shepherd for the chief shepherd. That is, not how, that is not how that works. And yet, but it happens all the time. People get ran out of churches for some of the dumbest things. You know, railing is the one that seems like everybody gets thrown out of church for these days. Railing. Which typically, this is how railing is defined many times. Is, you know, many people define it as if you say something that's false. Okay. Now, obviously, lying is bad. But did you know sometimes people have disagreements? So, you know, if me and Brother Aaron, we have a disagreement. Obviously, I believe what I'm saying is right. And I believe what he's saying is wrong. Therefore, since what he's saying is wrong and railing is saying anything that's false, I can accuse him of railing and now throw him out of the church. But wait a minute. Maybe we just had a disagreement. Maybe we just don't see things the same on this. And, you know, we ought to be able to come to a resolution. But if I just don't like Aaron, 
railer, throw them out. That is, folks, that is not right. And, and you know, in a lot of places, they, they're, they're allowed to do it without even bringing them before the church. Without even, I mean, you're supposed to bring them before the congregation, you know, when you do things like that. But that, that rarely happens, and that's not right. And so what we, um, you know, I, in the, if, even if I, if I can't stand Aaron, and I'm just, look, I don't have the right to run him off because I don't like him. It's, he's not my sheep. He's Christ. And so if he is a part of this flock, it's my job to feed him and to, and to love him and care about him and to be a blessing and to put up with him. Because maybe I don't love him, but the chief shepherd does love him. And so if I do a good job of taking care of the Lord's sheep, then you know what? I'll get a crown of glory that fades not away when he comes back. But pastors should never forget, it is not your church. It is not your flock. It is the Lord's. And don't ever forget, don't ever let me forget that. So as long as, um, so verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And notice it doesn't say the elders. Because again, you just have one that's in the church. Submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all, but then he says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So as long as an elder is in obedience to the scriptures, the congregation should be in submission. But notice this too. You should be in submission not because, well, pastor, we're just the lady. Okay? No. It's again, it's because of the work that I've been given. Because of the work that I've been given. And it goes on to say, yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. So the thing is, if, if, we, have a, if we have a good church, because if, uh, if, if we're the kind of church we're supposed to be, that does not have, it's not about ranks, it's not about titles, it's a place where we do a work and it's a place where we serve. And so just like a a pastor, it's a work that is given to someone. It's not just a title. The same applies to any job in the church. If someone gets put over the soul winning, everyone who participates should follow that person. Everyone who participates should submit to that person and go along with what they say. Why? Because they have been given this work and we're helping on that, and so we're going to be subject to them. I mean, the way I see it, I'm subject to Brother Daniel when he's leading the music, and I'm, I'm just singing in the choir. And you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to go, and when he starts to lead one song, I'm going to start singing a different song. And then when he calls me out, it's like, um, I'm the pastor. I outrank you. Um, I might be the pastor, but you know what? I, I shouldn't put him over the music and then just undo everything he's doing and just mess everything up. I'm just kind of doing things my way. Well, I know you want us to sing the song this way, but this is how I like to sing it. And by, by the way, I'm the pastor. No, I need to, I need to go along. And I need, to, I need to cooperate. And that's what all of us need to do. doesn't matter what the job is, whether it's, you know, you, know, you get put in charge of cleaning, whether you get put in charge of something with the, with the food and the fellowship. If you're helping, you should submit to whoever has been given the work to do. And doesn't matter. Sometimes you're going to, you might serve somebody that's younger than you, somebody that's dumber than you, 
Somebody that you see yourself superior to in many ways. But if they're the one that's been given the work, you know what you ought to do? Submit. Be subject. And do what they say. That, but that requires humility. But the Bible says, God resisted the proud and give a grace to the humble. God will bless you if you do that. You will accomplish more. You will get more done being humble and submitting to somebody who maybe isn't even leading things the best. I believe God will use you more if he sees you being grace, gracious and humble and serving that person. You'll accomplish more doing that than if all of a sudden you just took charge and did your own thing. Because you know what? Then pride is what got you there. And now God's working against you. So just be humble and do the work that's been given you to do. So um, there's no doubt that doing certain work, performing certain roles, often those things kind of put you in the spotlight or the limelight in a way. But all these things are something that should just happen. Okay, now please get this. Especially too, if you have that desire to maybe someday pastor or church or whatever. Okay, did you know in a perfect world, and we're not living in one, and in a perfect church, and we don't attend one, but in a perfect world, in a perfect church, did you know people wouldn't even really shoot for becoming a pastor or any position? It would just naturally happen because they're doing the work. And, and often, I mean, just today I was communicating with somebody that was asking me about certain things that I felt like they should accomplish um, before they could become a pastor. You know, like when it comes, you know, how many times you read through the Bible, how long to be saved, how long married, how many kids, you know, you know, you know the typical stuff. And, and I, I just told him, I said, I don't give numbers on those things. And, and, and here's why. Because there's a million factors when it comes to certain things. You know, there, there's, it's not about just how many times you've read through the Bible. Nobody magically becomes qualified because they had a second kid. Okay. And, 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 and you know what? And even if you had two kids, and so, well, I think they need to hit a certain age first. Well, you don't just magically become qualified when they hit that birthday either. That's how these robot theologians think. Okay. And the thing is, this is what's supposed to happen. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, whether you have a title, whether you have no title, if you are just serving the Lord with all your heart, with all your might, if you are just doing whatever you can for God, then eventually God's just going to put you in that position. You know, and, and, and I kind of feel like that happened with me just when it came to pastoring and stuff. You know, I didn't really shoot for it. It it just kind of happened. Even becoming an assistant pastor, it just kind of happened because of the fact I was already just serving in many places in the church. And then it was just like, you know, we need an assistant pastor. We need somebody that's part-time at least. And so guess who the obvious choice was? Me, the guy already doing everything. And I've been doing these things for all these years. And... They needed somebody to be in charge of the Christian school. They needed somebody full-time. And literally, I was the obvious choice. I was the only choice. First off, nobody else wanted to do it. But second of all, you know, there, you know, I, I was you know, qualified to do these things, and I was already just doing all these work. And it literally just kind of happened. And that's the, way, that's the way it should be. 
if you are serving wherever God gives you an opportunity, and if you are doing the best you can with whatever it is you've been given to do, I promise you, opportunities are just going to appear. All of a sudden, one of these days, you won't even see it coming. You're going to find yourself, you know, pastoring a church or, or whatever it is you desire to do. It's going to hit you out of nowhere, but you got a lot of guys, they're just like, they're just desperate for that one thing. Well, you know what? Stop thinking about that one thing in the future. Start thinking about what you're doing right now. Start thinking about that one small area that you've been given to serve and just go nuts with it. And one of these days, an opportunity is going to present itself and you're going to be the obvious choice. There isn't even going to be a question about it. And so, um, again, I'm not against having long-term goals. You know, I, I think you should have that, but I think we should be more focused on what we're doing today. I think you get focused on what you're doing today. Tomorrow is going to come a lot faster. And that, you know, that's my opinion. And that's, you know, in my experience, that's what I've seen. And so, you know, the individual I was telling today, I, I, I just told him, I was like, you know, wherever your opportunity you've been given to serve, Go nuts with it, you know, do something with it. And those things will just present itself. If you're reading, if you, if you're qualified to, uh, you know, if you're not a novice, if you know your Bible, okay, it's not going to happen just because you read through the Bible for the 10th time. And I'm not declaring 10 the number because there's some people who read the Bible 10 times and they're still not qualified. There's people that have two kids. They are not, there's people that have more than two kids and they are far from qualified. I mean, far from it. And there's people who have no kids. They're way more qualified. I'll say that, I'll say that right now, way more qualified than people with multiple kids many times. And, you know, the robot theologians, that doesn't compete with them, you know, because they're only smart enough to count to two. And that's the one qualification they're qualified to judge. You know, but there, there's so many other things and you know, what people just need to do is they need to forget titles. You know, they, they should forget about trying to get lordship and exercising dominion. That's not supposed to happen. They should, what every Christian should be in, they should be in a church. And wherever they are at, they should be looking for opportunities to minister. They should be looking for opportunities to serve. And if they would do that, I promise you, if you're doing that, those, that ministry you're doing, that serving that you're doing is going to do more to qualify you and to prepare you for what's to come than anything, than any book you could ever read, than any, any project, accomplishment I could ever give you. Just that ministering, serving, developing that servant's heart, that's going to be the thing that gets you ready. And then one of these days, there's going to be a need and there's not even going to be a question about who should be put in charge of that and sent out. It's, it's going to be so clear. It's going to be so obvious and you're going to be so ready. And you know what? You're going to be thankful for those days that you did all that serving in very non-glamorous things. So uh, always remember, it's about the work and there's always plenty of work to do. But you got to be humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And so humble uh, humility is the key to all of this. And pride is one of the biggest things that all of us need to overcome. And if you overcome pride, you know, the sky's the limit. 
And then notice, so after it talks about submitting to the elder, being subject one to another, being clothed with humility, the very next thing he says after that is casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, obviously this applies to any cares, any concerns, any worries. But I think it's interesting that he says this immediately after talking about being subject to one another, about being humble, because, again... It's real easy to start getting this attitude, well, you know, to start worrying about the leadership. Well, they're not perfect. They're doing something wrong, you know, or this person's getting promoted before I get promoted. I'm afraid I'm being overlooked. Listen, whatever your concern is, whatever that care is that you have, give it to God. If if you're doing a bunch of work, if you're doing a bunch of service and you're not getting any recognition, you're not getting any credit for it and you're afraid, you're just kind of spinning your wheels and you're wasting your time, this isn't helping you make your qualifications so you can hurry up and get sent out or whatever. Listen, God's taking note of it. God will see it. And God will advance you. I I, I promise you, He will do that. And and I I get the concerns, I get the care. Cast it on God. He cares for you. He sees that work you're doing and He is not going to forget it. He, he keeps track of these things. He will ne- I'll forget about things that you do. The church will forget about things you do. They won't even care about things you do. In fact, a lot of times they might even criticize some of the things that you do. I mean, you, you, know, you can put your heart and soul into something, and then somebody's going to have something negative, you know, and tell you you did it wrong, you could have done better. You know, and, you know, but God knows. Okay? God's the one, and God's the one in charge of these things. And promoting you. So, whatever concerns you have about being exalted, you know, following, you know, or uh, following somebody's lead or whatever, just put it on God. God will take care of those concerns. So, verse eight says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour." So, all of this is for your protection, because there's dangers out there. That's why all of us need to be clothed in humility. That's why we all need to be submissive. Because there's dangers out there, and the devil would love nothing more than to devour us. I preached on this not that long ago. I'm not going to re-preach all that. But you know what? We've got to resist them. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And you know, this one of the, one of the things that motivates me greatly, and that should be a motivator for all of us, is knowing that the battles, the temptations that we have... People all over the world are facing the same things. And you know what? They're doing the right thing. And that should keep us, that, that helps keep me going. It reminds me it's not about us. And you know, one of the things that has helped me out a lot over the years, anytime I'm facing some kind of challenge, difficulty, whatever, is there's, there's pretty much nothing that I've faced in my 10 years of pastoring where I did not know another pastor who had faced something very similar and probably worse. So whenever I was going through my problem, I'm like, well, you know what? I know this pastor, they got through it. I know this pastor, he stayed faithful. I, and I had all these examples, and even many times too, ones that were like currently in battles, similar to the one that I was in. And it's like, you know, if these guys can keep going through the battles they're fighting, I can too. And that's one thing all of us need to remember. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever those temptations are, you aren't the only one feeling that way. We are, the devil will tell you you're the only one going through anything like this. 
but you're not the only one going through anything like this. Other people are going through the same thing. And so when you realize that, it helps a lot. And this is, this is another good reason, too, that you know, I, think, I, I think it's important for people in a church to fellowship. And we do that. We, we do a good job of that here. Uh, you, know, you can be a part of a church. You can be a member in a church and not fellowship. You know, and, and you do. You have people. They show up two minutes after the service starts and leave 20 seconds after. Sometimes 20 seconds early. You know, and hey, I'm glad they come to church. I'm glad they got here in time for offering. But, you know, you need that fellowship. We all need that fellowship, too. That's a very important thing. But you know what? Not only do we need fellowship amongst ourselves, I think we need fellowship amongst other churches, too. Because while, you know, that fellowship that we have amongst ourselves, that helps you when it comes to your personal things that you're dealing with in your life and your family. You know, men, we have our work problems. And, you know, you know ladies, you have your problems with kids. You know, you've got other women in the church that can help you with these things. But we also, as a church, we have challenges that we face. We have challenges that we're dealing with. And it feels good and it helps to know other churches are going through the same thing. Other churches are fighting these same battles. And when you realize that, you know, it, it, it motivates us as a church too. And that's why I think it's good for us to go to other meetings. I think it's good. I think it's going to be good for us, you know, to go to some of these camps and things and get around other like-minded people, other people from Baptist churches that we can get around, get to know, and we start finding out all these things and that they're dealing with challenges that they have. And you know what you're going to find out if you actually talk to these people, get to know them a little bit, that there's a lot of, they're dealing with a lot of the same stuff we are. You're going to start to find out, man, we're not the only ones dealing with this stuff. We're not the only ones fighting battles. And I don't know about you, it helps me a lot. Because people do, they get very self-centered. And I'm telling you, uh, churches do, they become very closed off from just society and it, and it's it's easy to do that, especially from the world okay but so we don't want to become freaks folks and if we do if we we isolate ourselves too much we are going to become spiritual inbred freaks and we're not there we're, we're you know we're far from it but i do i i want us to keep fellowshipping with other churches I, I think it's a very important thing. And, uh, and, and you are. You're gonna, and sometimes we're going to be shocked. Sometimes, you know, we're going to get around other churches. And, you know, you're going to go to a meeting. And that you're going to go and, and one of those church members that you met and you liked, they're going to show up at that meeting. And you know what they're going to be? They're going to be wearing a lapel pin with an American and Israeli flag on it. And you know what? You're gonna, you're, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to irk you and it's going to bother you. And you're going to be tempted to just pull away from that person. And then, you know, just, I got to go back to liberty in my safe space. Well, listen, folks, I don't know if you all know this. Not everybody agrees with us on Israel. <laughs> you're, we're, going to, we're going to be at a meeting one of these days. We're going to be at some kind of activity. and We're, we're going to be standing outside and there are going to be a bunch of big clouds in the skies. And they're about, man, those are some good rapture clouds right there. Imminency. I, I, I've been around that. And you know what you got to do? You got to smile. And, and, and you got to laugh. And it's like, man, 
not everybody listens to our pastor's sermons on these things. And I'm telling you, it's good for you. It's, it's good for you, folks. And I promise it, it, it'll, it'll make you better. And, you know, we do. We'll have our safe place. We'll come back and we'll make fun of it. All right. You know, but we're still going to love. We're going to still love those people. And uh, we're not going to just cut ourselves off from everyone. That's not a good thing. So um, verse 10 says, but the God of all grace who hath called us into his eternal glory uh, by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So eternal glory is coming. But in the meantime, we're probably going to have to do some suffering. But let it help grow us. Let it accomplish something in you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is important to understand too. One of these days, Jesus is going to have dominion over the earth where He is ruling over it with a rod of iron. But understand too, He already does have dominion over this earth. Okay? Just because He is allowing certain things to take place doesn't mean He doesn't have control. God allows things to take place sometime for his own reason, for his own glory, and he is going to deal with it. So, uh, let, you know, it's okay for us to just go ahead and live like he has dominion right now, because he does. And if he's allowing junk to go on, it's according to his will and his purpose, and you know what, let's just, let's just deal with it. I want him to come back and rule with that rod of iron now, you know, because I'm convinced he's going to do everything I think he's going to do to all my enemies. And, you know, and we might be in for a surprise on some of that, but I'm pretty sure I know what he's going to do with some of those with DC. And I want it to happen now. You know, but he might not do it that way. But either way, he's in control. So by Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace wherein ye stand. And right here, Peter gives us the purpose of this letter and it was to exhort. It's pretty much the same as the book of James. That's why he wrote this letter to all these churches. It's just a motivator. And that's why we preach out of these things and we use these things still today because everything he's exhorting this church to do are things that we're still supposed to be doing today. These things absolutely do apply to us because, again, like we talked about last week, nothing's changed. Jesus hasn't come back yet. So the instructions that were given to these churches during that time... You better believe we can take these things and apply them to our church, apply them to our lives. And he did this to exhort because we all need that. Every one of us needs a, rem- a good reminder of what we're supposed to be doing. Otherwise, we're going we're gonna to slack off. You know what? I mean, we, we do a lot of good stuff. We do a lot of soul here. But you know what? Sometimes we need a motivator on that too. Sometimes we need a good sermon on that. We might need to go to a conference. It just gets us fired up again because it's real easy to just kind of slowly back off and to just it not to be as big of a deal. And Peter understood that, so he did. He cares about these people, so he writes a letter just encouraging them, trying to exhort them. That was the purpose of this letter. And then he goes on to say, The churches in Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Now, I don't know for sure what to make of this church, because the only New Testament references to Babylon are referring to things from the past or what we see in Revelation. Some people say, well, he was talking about a church in Rome and he called it Babylon. I don't know. Maybe it was literally in Babylon. I don't know. But he just refers to this church that they salute you. And again, and then he goes on and says, Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
And greetings, salutations, these were always encouraged among the brethren. Not just among the church. And we should do those among, that among the church, but among all the brethren. And it was supposed to be genuine. It says, in, in, uh, and so saluting, okay, often today we think saluting is like, yes, sir. Okay? In fact, I, I've heard people before, they'll take Hebrews 13, 24, which says, salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. And what they'll do is, you know, I mean, they'll, you know, women should salute their husbands because they're in authority. The Bible says all are in authority. And it's just like, okay, technically you're right, but technically what you're trying to say is so stupid, it's not even funny. Okay, because it's like, I mean, just novices, folks, novices behind the pulpit, you know. I, I, it, you know, we should let novices preach sometime to get practice, but we probably shouldn't put it on YouTube. But sometimes they become pastors. But did you know that husbands, that technically, if when you come home, your wife greets you and gives you a kiss or something, did you know that's a salute? Don't do that to your sergeant in the army. All right? But, you know, a, a salute, it's, it's, it's an acknowledgement. It's a greeting. That's all it is. And it goes on, you know, know, they of Italy salute you. So when it says salute all that are in authority, hey, just acknowledge those people. Encourage those people. Greet those people. You know, don't just be standoffish with them and and snob them. Oh, they're the boss. You know, we we don't like them. No, you know, be friendly. Do a greeting. When we shake hands, you know, we're saluting each other. When we do that, when you say hi, when you wave at somebody, you're saluting them. Just acknowledging somebody. That's all it is. Okay. So, so, you know, ladies, you should salute your husbands. And you know what? Uh, hello, dear, and a kiss on the cheek is, is just fine. Okay? You don't have to do some kind of thing that shows. That's, that's ridiculous. All right? And I just, I, I am baffled by some things I hear. But, uh, you know, because if, even if you look at the definition, salute, means to greet, to hail, to address with expression of kind wishes. That's all. That's a that's a salutation. So, it, it, a lot of people when they read the Bible, this is why I'm going to say it again. The Bible's a powerful book. It's not a magical book. Okay. So if you read a verse about a salute, and in your brain, this is saluting. The Bible is not now magically teaching women to salute their husband like that. Okay. It means what it meant when it was written. The same thing. And it's just a friendly greeting. And one of the definitions is to kiss. Okay? And again, you know, depending on the situation, if you're in the military and they tell you to salute your, you know, your, your commanding officer, don't go give them a kiss. You're going to get in big trouble. And even if you show them, you said to salute me, and here's a definition right here. That's not what he meant. Okay? And... it's just a little bit of study will fix a lot of stuff with people. But I said, we should always prioritize your own local church when it it comes to care and concern for the brothers and sisters. But we should care about our brothers and sisters all over the place. We should care about them in other churches, in other states, in other parts of the world. And you you, you know what? When you hear about something crazy, something bad happening in another state... First thing in your mind, you ought to think about your brothers and sisters over there, especially if you know some that are over there. You know, when I hear about stuff going on in other countries, 
You know, there's certain people that I think about. You know who they are? It's my brothers and sisters. You know, when I hear about stuff going on in Ireland, stuff going on in England, you know, the stuff that, you know, I, I immediately start thinking. You know, when I heard the UK was getting rid of a lot of their restrictions, I immediately thought, I, I know, uh, you know, Ireland is not, I don't think they're technically under that, just Northern Ireland is, but I thought, I wonder how this is going to affect the O'Hagans, you know, and I messaged them because they're who I immediately thought of. You know why? Because they're the ones I care about more than everybody else over there because they're, they're brothers and sisters. That's family, and it's like that many other places too. You know, we've got, we've got brothers in Germany, all right, and when I've heard about some of the crazy stuff going on there, you know who I immediately got concerned for? Our, you know, our, our brother Andrew over there. That's what, I, that's what I immediately think of. And you know what? It's good for you if you when you hear about things and if you've got friends, Facebook friends, whatever, you know, contact them. Hey, how's it going for you? Let them know you're thinking about them when stuff's going on in different parts of the world. That's how we should be with each other. And it's always, and it's helpful for me Whenever I'm going through something, and I know there's people, not just here in the church, but you know, people all over the world that have a care and concern, and we ought to show that same care and concern for our brothers and sisters, and you ought to, you ought to salute them. And you know what? Technically, you can salute them on Facebook by just sending them a message or something, commenting on their status or whatever. You know, there's all kinds of ways we can do friendly greetings. We're showing that we care. And so to summarize the book of 1 Peter is we have Peter sending an exhortation to many churches and just encouraging them to continue in what they're already doing. And we all need this kind of thing. We're always going to need this kind of thing until Jesus comes back. And until then, we need to encourage others to continue in the faith, especially during difficult times. And everything that's in this letter should regularly be preached in churches. And we do. We need letters like this today just like they did back then. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that this message was helped everybody. Lord, if anything, I pray, Lord, it'll help us to just uh, be more aware of what's going on uh, with our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. Help us to not get all self-centered and just thinking about what's going on in our life and in our little corner of the world, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do what we can and just take the time to uh, acknowledge um, what others are doing, what they're going through, and just try to help encourage them, Lord. We need more uh, lights in this world, and so help us to do what we can to encourage those that are trying to uh, spread the light of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen.